Hey, Will I Like It listeners, do you like a good cup of coffee, one that's rich, flavorful, and ethically sourced? Then you need to check out Dynasty of Coffee, a Yorkshire-based online coffee business that offers a range of expertly crafted blends. All of their coffee is roasted to order to ensure freshness, and they're committed to nurturing the well-being of both individuals and the planet. Whether you're a fan of a bold, strong coffee or a smooth and mellow one, Dynasty of Coffee has a blend for you. Their four main blends are inspired by different British dynasties, Saxon, Viking, Tudor, and a decaf Hanoverian. So if you're looking for a delicious and ethically sourced cup of coffee, head to dynastyofcoffee.co.uk today and use the code SAXON10, that's SAXON, all capital letters, 10, at checkout for 10% off your first order. Enjoy! Hello and welcome back to the Willow Vikit podcast. Uh, today I've come back to the Ancient Technology Centre in Frambourne and my guest is Caroline Nicolai, otherwise known as Pario Galico. Yeah, that's did it. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did actually. Did. <laughs> that's a really good one. Actually, we could jump straight in because I was wondering on the way here what Pario Galico means. Oh. I think you've probably told me before, but... <laughs> I don't, I never... Well, so Pario Galico is the name I chose for my company because at the start I wanted to do Iron Age food, yeah. catering, and that was it. Okay. Um, and pario means cauldron, gallico means Gallic. Right. In okay. Iron Age language from France, yeah. uh, where I come yeah. from. So basically the Gallic cauldron. Yeah. And no, I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I still do, yeah. Iron Age food, definitely research, a uh, bit of catering, but it's mainly demonstrations, courses, uh, yeah, living history more than a proper just catering for special events. Okay, so sort of going the, the wrong way around it now, but I, I was gonna say, so so how did you get started? But that's kind of wrapped up in that same... Oh, kind of, but yeah. I could even push it further because I had that question before. Yeah. Well, uh, Craig, actually, so when I started, uh, what year was that? I started in, what, 2016, I think? Um, properly the company after yeah. visiting the ancient technology center it all started here uh, I came from an interview <laughs> and I didn't get it oh, um, no. I met somebody called Pascal uh, that I cannot thank enough because she um, contacted me a bit later on mm. and asked me if I could do an Iron Age cooking demonstration for one of the open events I started there and I never stopped um, so before that, it's just being at, well, university and learning about archaeology and the Iron Age, which came really late, unfortunately, in my life. Mm. Um, we had different professors or teachers and basically somebody saying, oh, in the Iron Age, you know, peak of agriculture, uh, the plough begins to exist. You have huge amounts of evidence for excellent um, Crop, crop growing, but also uh, cattle management and so on and so forth. Mm. So husbandry and, and fields. And somebody else was basically talking about the everyday life and saying that was really sad at the time. They were only eating bland gruel and porridge every single day. I think, well, uh, excellent agriculture, lots of things available. And you're telling me 
you're going to eat porridge, bland porridge. That was so important. Bland food every single day of your life. Nah. So then I started just looking at it, researching. um, And I'm not, I'm not really a cook. (laughs) I worked as a cook as well in, um, in cafes and restaurants. Weirdly like that, it just happened. Um, And I'm more interested in the cooking techniques utensils and how you manage the heat from a fire to actually cook something rather than looking for very interesting flavors to combine and so on. So I'm I'm a very good taster, but I'm not always the most um, creative cook, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I I don't have any (laughs) formal training either. You know, I didn't go to university or anything. I'm a painter and decorator. Yeah, but that's Um, good. And it's a hobby that's... (laughs) Like yourself, you start doing one thing and it sort of just snowballs and you end up doing other things. Um, And partly what I do is responsible. Well, you're partly responsible for what I do. (laughs) Because if you remember, I mean, we met at Berrycroft Hub at one of your your talks you were given on the Iron Age. Uh, Some time ago. Yeah, I'm not sure how many years. Four years? Three years? At least four. Definitely pre the COVID year. Pre COVID, yeah. So that's at least three. So I think. And I've been in my house now for three years. This is probably really boring for people. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, so we met and um, actually then you started because, as far as I understand, you don't really like the Saxon and Viking period. Because you, you do Iron Age oh. and then you jump full, well, you do Roman. Uh, a, a bit. Well, I do a bit of Roman. I started on Roman food because yeah. there's texts. Yeah. So when it's you look at historical make. food, you start by, well, I started by Roman, yeah. looking at the recipes, etc., And then I chose a time period I preferred. But I don't do early medieval. Well, I did a bit of research on Saxon food, not quite Viking and so on, because again, there's books. Um, but I really prefer the Iron Age because yeah. I like the fact that there's no written records. You need to dig into the archeology. span Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't dislike them, <laughs> but um, but I don't do it. <laughs> I don't research it. But, but from from my perspective, it was good because when people uh, like the Ancient Technology Centre, um, even Berrycroft Hub, were asking yeah. for extra tutors to do courses, you put my name forward. Yeah. Um, so you were doing Saxon and and all the things I didn't want to do. So yeah. So it <laughs> it works for everyone. <laughs> but yeah. So you're partly responsible for my wow. snowballing hobby. I won't even apologize. No, I mean, I, it's, it's excellent. It's amazing. Yeah. What you're doing is, yeah. is absolutely fantastic. And I find personally that you have such a, a bit more of a better combined approach to, uh, to historical food because you have, you have written cookbooks mm. um, and you do foraging as well, but you have written cookbooks, I think, before you even got into the historical food kind of question. Uh, I wrote a couple, yeah, a couple of basic cookbooks for uh, Assetry UK. Yeah. Um, just some basic guides, and they had some of the stuff that I've reused later on with the halfling books. Um, so we've ended up with sort of those those recipes, and that then eventually went to the more historical stuff, uh-huh. uh, more research, and I think the first book even was written before we'd even done a single show. Yeah, you did, yeah. It was just looking into the food of the period. And in, if I go to an event, what am I going to do at an event? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to cook. So I need to know about that before I do it. And so I did the research. It became a book. So, yeah, I've kind of reversed. <laughs> yeah, that's reverse engineering it. Yeah. But 
that's that's perfect. That's and that's what I like. You, to me, you came from a cooking passion. I want to say you you seem to really really like cooking and you work with flavors and you you do it simply but really really well. And then you got onto the archaeology and the research side of things, and you can combine both. Yeah. Whereas I don't feel like I have that. Um, I don't want to say appreciation, but that connection to cooking well. Mm. I'm already amazed when I make a super simple soup. So I just stop there. <laughs> so I quite like that. I mean, for me personally, it's there's more of a challenge to it. So it's the same as trying to cook good vegan food. Mm. Like you can have good vegan food. Um, and I think it's a bit more than buying vegan sausages. Yes. You can actually make good curries and things. And I like working within that limitation. So then again, when it came to the historic side, I was taking the same approach and I was like, well, hang on, I can't use this and I can't use that, but I can use that. And so it was that combining things that way and even trying to reverse engineer modern food to be yes, historic. Yes, <laughs> it's exactly what you just said. I feel it's the, let's call it the limitation but is that you work within set, um, within a box. Yeah. You have these ingredients available, or at least that's how I see it. You have these ingredients, these utensils, and these heat or cooking methods. And you have the seasons, seasonality of foods. If you manage, so for me in the Iron Age, no text, very little entire meals preserved in archaeology. So you get all of your information. I have these kinds of meat, vegetables, you could forage these plants native to Britain, the right season for that dish, and probably available in wetland or etc. environments. Can I actually cook them in the utensils I've got? So you're going to mention <laughs> one of the utensils I do not have, which I love. And I've cooked with this morning. Oh, no. <laughs> to make something. <laughs> I'm so jealous. It's the frying pan. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> Every time anybody yeah. asks me, so what have the Romans really done for us? The frying pan, genuinely the frying pan and gender inequality, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> Another subject. There's these folding frying pans that come in the backpacks of legionaries that mm. we do not have beforehand. Um, and I'm, I come from the east of France. I'm not, I don't have a tradition of, you know, crepes and pancakes making in all, but I really love them. Yeah. If you don't have a frying pan, if you have a really liquid batter, unless you have a sort of cooking stone with a, a dip in the middle, yeah. you can't make pancakes, yeah. you can't make crepes. So there are dishes that you have the ingredients, you have the heat source, all of that, but you don't have the right utensil. Mm. Um, and I think you have, a, you have brought me a jar of something. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that I feel free. Have. I mean, if you want to open it and have a smell and see what you think. So this is last spring's uh, wild garlic, oh. sprinkled with salt and fermented. There's more detailed. Mm. I've got a video on my YouTube channel. Um, yeah, and it gets stronger the longer you leave it. it. So that's probably max strength now because that's I mean, <laughs> what, April last year. So oh. best part of the year. It's, it's still really green and beautiful. I mean, you guys will have seen the recipe, but it smells so fresh. It's not an overpowering, oh, garlic, here you go, get that big slap in the face when you usually cut a clove or something. Yeah. It's yeah. properly, you just cut wild garlic with a sort of, mm, well, the fermentation, so the kind of vinegary kind mm. of smell flavor. That just made me salivate. 
<laughs> I just sharing. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you, you're welcome to keep that. I made a lot of it last year, and I've still got a cupboard full. I've got thank you garlic salt, and, and to be honest, I get in trouble at home for overusing really? my garlic. It's that is amazing. Um, Top of a pizza. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have it with well cheese, 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 cheese with anything bread, just that. Oh, soft cheese. Oh, actually. Mix it in. Yeah. Yeah. You have made, I remember that, last time I think we met, or maybe the time before, a leg of lamb or a roast, something big piece of meat, and in the slide, uh, in the cuts, yeah. you had white garlic. Did I put wild garlic in? I think you did. I've done it so many times I forget. So sometimes I put cloves of garlic. It was probably lamb or venison. If it was here, probably venison, we had the whole deer, yeah. and I butchered the deer, so it would be a venison haunch. I guess stuffed with wild garlic then. Um, but sometimes I use garlic cloves. Um, rosemary is mm. another good one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, see, you can use garlic cloves, and that's what we were chatting about a bit earlier. Wild garlic for Iron Age cooking. Yeah, definitely native to Britain, you have wild garlic. Mm. But it's the only allium I get. I don't have leeks, onions, or garlic, like bulbs of garlic yet. Whereas... In Saxon cooking, you have all the alliums that arrive from the Mediterranean with the Romans or Roman influence. Blame the Romans again. <laughs> okay. What did they do for us? And, and leeks and, and onions and so on. Yeah. They seem to be, or they might be trade because the south of France was already um, Greek, then Roman control. And it's really hard to trace. Mm. But so far, before Roman conquests of Britain and then the Saxons, nah. So your lectins and your, your leaf gardens and all, I'm really jealous. All the things <laughs> I love, I actually don't have. So now I'm just thinking about what to feed you first. So... I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I've no pre-warning here, Caroline no. doesn't know what's coming. Um, so I guess the, the loaf is on the table. Okay, yeah. So we could start with that. I'm sure you've noticed it looks a bit Frankensteinian with the... Yes. Around the edge. <laughs> so it's obviously not quite what you think it is. Mm. Uh, so this is what would be called Osterhalafas. I don't speak much old English. Very lovely. Oster oyster. Uh-huh. <gasps> loaf. Oyster bread. Oyster bread. No way. Yes. Um, so it's got in there um, parsley, eggs, uh -huh. some of the minced up bread, wine, uh, water, beef, suet, and oysters. And oysters as well. Not many oysters in there. Um, I could only get half a dozen yeah. this morning, but uh, that was all they had. But normally I'd put about a dozen in. Um, and wow. that's the thing I was telling you before that I don't like. Oysters? Yes. No way. Even cooked? I'm not a fan. Oh. Not a fan. I think it's a texture thing. And yeah. I've done them on the embers of the fire. Oh, amazing. You just put yeah. the whole shell in, maybe a bit of garlic. Oh, wild garlic oysters. Yeah. Wild garlic oysters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Where's the nearest shop? Let's go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, do you cook the mix in the bread? Not that was a stupid question. You cook the mix and then you put it in the bread. Yes. So it's mixed into a frying pan first. Um, the bread that I actually cooked yesterday, cut the top off, hollowed out with a spoon, and then I pour the filling in. Oh, you're kidding. And then put it in the oven and bake it. So it would be quite high status uh, because it's a loaf of bread. Yeah. Um, and... Um, 
yeah, some of the ingredients are. It's got salt and pepper in there as well. So pepper is quite a nice thing to have. So I might leave you to explain how you serve it because I thought, oh, I just slice the loaf and, and that would be okay. But now that doesn't sound like a very good idea at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you serve it? It's a good question. <laughs> Open scoop. It reminds me of these um, Eastern Europeans or even Polish dishes where it's served in bread loaves and or Romanian dishes. That's yeah. It. <gasps> yeah. Well, I mean, we've had like pumpkin soup in a pumpkin before. Not yes. not uh, historic, obviously. But um, I don't know. I mean, if <laughs> if you want to see the filling now, and look, that's that's how warm I kept that. That was cooked fresh. I drove an hour to get here. We've stood around it. talking for half an hour and it's still hot. <laughs> That's uh, actually something really interesting to know. It smells amazing. Ooh. Yeah, it smells like wine. <laughs> well, I won't blame you for that. Um, so, should I taste it? Should you? Mm. Are you, Would you, you like game? Me to taste it? Oh, Are yeah. Game? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, good question is how do you serve it? So, last time I did it, it's been a couple of years actually, and I cut a slice. And so you end up with the bread and the filling. That looks a little bit on the wet side for slicing at the moment. I would almost... I think what we do is scoop, scoop a bit into our bowls. Yeah. Slice a bit of bread off to go with it. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I'm okay. Yeah. No problem. So, yeah, it's um, a high-status thing, really, with all this... Uh... I don't remember the last time I ate oysters or anything in, in bread. I'm going to use this. That's... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is the debut for this knife actually so caroline brought it over for me um, i just got it from tom big bainan the blacksmith uh ooh. shall we try and slice it shall we see what happens yeah i don't know well the knife's sharp yeah congratulations tom I <laughs> suddenly had a little <laughs> palpitation going on yeah yeah and the sheep are coming to join us. Because <laughs> you can't, you know, you can't. Do you know what? That. That might just about. You don't have to eat that whole slice. <laughs> you can. Ah. But you don't. Um, I mean, now, the issue is actually slicing it again, isn't it? Because. Yeah. Going to lose the filling. Well, it's, I connect with weird and wonderful things, but we also do, apart from Iron Age, yeah. Tudor, late Tudor, so yeah. say. Uh, 1580s kind of living history and especially meals, table manners. You might have talked to Tom about I did talk to Tom about table manners. Um, he showed us all about carving properly. That's the thing. And I would definitely Rip ask him. Pop, not in. We covered all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, advanced tasting. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think? Oh, and you're helping yourself, but you don't particularly like oysters. So I've had this before, and in this dish, they are fine. Okay. It's the wine, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> wine makes everything good. <laughs> I won't disagree. But, um, yeah, as a, as a plain oyster, I think it's more about the texture. I can't even rip a piece of bread off. Mm. So apologies to those that don't like to hear me eat, because apparently that's a thing. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Improved microphone means everyone can hear you. <laughs> I found initially I was I was more concerned about talking on camera. Yeah. And now I've got more used to that. I actually am more conscious about eating on camera. 
with the noises and just yeah. Oh no. Yeah, me too now. Now that you mention it. So I could just talk over it or um I'll hum you eat. <laughs> and you see I eat. <laughs> it's mm. really not it's not the taste I would expect at all. Um it's very dainty. It's very light in taste. I was kind of expecting a, hmm, a sort of beef stew, like steak and ale pie, kind of really It's kind dark. of um, surf and turf, isn't it? Oysters and beef. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's like an Anglo-Saxon surf and turf. <laughs> you should market it like that. <laughs> I was going to get you to cut it originally, and I was thinking we can call this surprise bread. Oh, yeah. And you'd say, what's the surprise? No bread. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually bad joke. If you had asked me, I think, stupidly now that I know what's in it, I would have gone straight point first through the center, cut on the side, it would have gone bleh, everywhere. <laughs> Sorry, noises again. Mm. Wow, that is really good. Yeah, I just saw it. I just can't get my head around the taste because there's eggs, eggs, bread. If you taste the parsley, yeah. Um, wine. Beef, suet, wine. The water mm. mostly is evaporated off as it cooks. Oh, and the bread just uh, as well. Did you make the bread? Mm. I made this. I made the bread last night, so I had something to put this in. But I didn't know if the shop would have oysters this morning, so you could have had a loaf of bread today. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I had everything but the oysters. Like, no. Which is why we've ended up with a second dish. Huh. Well, mm. it's a pretty good. So you have it in a book, isn't it? The recipe. The recipe is in the book. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I wouldn't just. I could just eat the bread. The bread is delicious as well. I know you're making really good bread. I'm really struggling. If it's not in a bread oven, mm. like um, yeah, a bread oven, a clay oven, I really, really struggle. I don't know why. So I went through your recipes. Could try this, could try that. Yeah. I need to figure it out. And I think my oven is just not great, not suitable. Do you have a casserole dish? No. Mm, or, um, yeah, or a Dutch oven? Yeah. Okay. Put the loaf inside the oven. In the so, Dutch oven? Yeah. In the Dutch oven, in the oven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So then, what, what that just helps you to get a higher temperature. And also, I think it creates a bit of steam inside. Oh, so you get that steam, steam is what you need for the crust. Yeah, because that's how they make baguettes, isn't it? You have suddenly know. this. Well, should I mm -hmm. tell you how they make baguettes? Actually, you get steam in your oven, mm. and yeah, it just has that crisp, like that crust and that doughy, gooey inside. So I'm just leaving the bread because I know there's other dishes, and I was suddenly wondering. Okay, um, medieval kind of eating where you have these bread trenches mm. and you have well, the socks basically so you can give the bread away or reuse it in another dish. Mm. I'm going to get my cheese, I'm going to get that garlic and I'm going to get... Um, there's no translation for that in English in tartine. So it's a slice of bread, mm. usually untoasted. <laughs> it's just our usual breakfast or at least in the east of France. Yeah. And you know, butter, honey or uh, jam, cheese, anything you have. But it's not toast because it's not toasted. It's 
So it's not a slice of bread with something, it's just an actual, it's the one word I could never translate. Mm. So if anybody has any ideas, call Craig. Don't call me. Call <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> let us know. Put it in the comments underneath. Yeah, that's a good idea. Compromise, and I'll let Caroline know. That would be perfect. Yeah. Um, I, I had a thought about something that you just said, mm. an ingredient of some sort, and I can't remember. Yeah, you were saying a high-status high status dish. Yes. Because of beef? I got a bit distracted because we had a bit of an audience for a while, I must admit. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that's why you could see us going... Mm. And then the sheep turned up and... Uh, I'm going to leave it all in. It'll be fun. That's fair enough. Um, yes, <laughs> high status. So with the, with the bread being because you'd need an oven, uh-huh. Um, generally classed as more of a high status. Oh, I didn't know that for... Uh, just put that there. Um, yeah. I think I've mentioned before in the podcast that I want to look into that a bit more because it's often referred to as leavened bread being more high status. Hmm. But I don't really understand why. I mean, there's one behind us from the Iron Age here. I mean, it's clay. They're not expensive to make. So it doesn't really make sense. You'd have to... Yeah, I never heard that concept before. Mm. Because, mm. Mm. but more so because I put pepper in anyway. So oh yeah, that's fair imported spice. So more more than the the leavened bread would be because there's a spice in there that. Mm. I see. Yeah, to go with your beef and oysters. Because that's the weird thing, isn't it? We consider oysters as nowadays, twenty first century, really expensive, luxurious. Yeah. Mm. So, whereas in the past, or for the majority of written history at least, it's not. You've got, well, you've got a bit of both. Either you're quite far from where you can actually get fresh oysters and you still manage to get fresh oysters, which means you have to either have somebody who travels really fast and constantly, but also have access to ice or preservation methods. That well, makes it really expensive. I don't know so much about Iron Age, but I was reading about this mm. just this week. Because I wondered, because I had, I had Penny, the manager from um, Chasbury Abbey. Yeah. And she was saying that one of the, sort of like the land taxes from the land they owned on the coast, mm -hmm. they would pay their rents in oysters. It's an hour's drive from the coast, I think. Yeah. And so obviously without cars even further. So I looked into it. They will keep, as long as you keep them in salt water for several weeks. So if you have a barrel or a container full of oysters, you could transport them, I would say, within reason, anywhere in the UK, which yeah, is why they're so common. And so one of the biggest fines at Shaftesbury Abbey is oyster shells, because they were getting their rents paid. In oysters. But and... then, yeah, when you go into the more Viking and Scandinavia, I think there's no, as far as I understand, no archaeological evidence in Scandinavia that they ate shellfish. Oh, cool. Interesting. But they do when they come to England. Because they're eating them in Jorvik. Because there's not much evidence at all for any shellfish or very little fish for the moment so far for Iron Age Britain. Um, what well, kind of Iron Age culture even on the coast, Atlantic and, and north, yeah. say Denmark, etc. And that's a really, really weird thing that seems to, could be changed by uh, hypermodern archaeology and isotope analysis so you can 
you can tell if somebody has grown up eating such foods, mm. marine proteins or, or land mammals and so on and so forth. Um, so there's very few finds, and it has for a very long time been said, after, say, the middle of the Stone Age, I'll go in much earlier in history. So Mesolithic uh, hunter-gatherers, yeah, really lots of marine resources, no problem. You hit the Neolithic, you start, very simplified, you start to settle down, you start, start having uh, farming, arriving and so on and so forth, it begins to reduce. Bronze Age, not too sure about that, Iron Age, almost no finds at all. And you live on the coast, you live near rivers, there's even mentions, where is it, Tacitus? Probably Tacitus, he always talks about the Germanics anyways. So an yeah. author mentions that in that part, that part of wherever he travels, uh, so Agricolia and Germanica. I think that was Taticus, wasn't it? It could be. I need to recheck. I need to recheck. Check yourselves. <laughs> um, but in any case, yeah. there's that traveller who goes through so many different places, and at some point he says, "Ah, they're eating fish. They're fishing from the rivers. Not so much mentions about the sea, but they're fishing and they're eating fish, which seems to be normal." But if he mentions it, is it something that's surprising to him? Mm. Um, I, did, I just don't know where I stand anymore because there's very few finds. And a lot said are about if it's in water, some cultures even nowadays don't eat anything coming from the water because it is sacred, it's a giver of life and so on and so forth. Or on the contrary, it's really dangerous, it's really dirty. You don't eat something that comes from the water, one or the other. So it could be possible. But the more we look into isotope analysis and we have more digs, you begin to find one or two vertebrae of place, for example, of different fishes. You have salmon bones on the hilltop in Scotland, really far away from water. So there's something going on, but there's way less of a fish, seafood consumption than I mm. previously thought. Um, and coming from the east of France, I'm nine hours from the closest sea. So I don't have that culture of, of eating anything coming from the water. We have rivers, we have even, um, you know, trout and fisheries and so on and mm. so forth. But myself in my family, as I've been raised, no, not really. A bit of smoked salmon, a bit of smoked trout, but that's pretty rare. And I don't recall anything but um, seafood platters when you go and visit Britain. So I, hmm. I like that connection that I can make because I have access to fish, seafood, even freshwater um, langoustines or something like that. But we don't used to eat it. And I've never thought about it until somebody mentioned it. Hmm. Was it the case? I just don't know. That was it, sorry. Well, <laughs> um. <laughs> that's interesting because that's like, that's a modern take on your personal experience with eating fish. Yeah. Um, and that's in the modern world where it's relatively easy for people to get access to things. So then when you put that back in history into the Iron Age or you know, the, the Viking Age and the Saxons, and you look at them, the fact that those people in England were eating one thing and yet the Vikings that were over in Scandinavia weren't, makes more sense at that point. Yeah. Because if in the modern world we can be that different now, then why oh, not? Completely. And the regional differences must have happened as well. Mm. You must have had different names for different things. 
I mean, black pudding in the British Isles. We have boudinois, which is, yeah, a blood sausage, but it's made in a different way. There's not the same ingredients in it. If you go to Spain, Portugal, or even the, the west of France, apparently they have a specialty using cream spinach added to it. Mm, and other people nice. add apples and cooked onions to it instead of on the side. Mm. If you go to Spain, you have different spices and rice instead of oats, if I'm correct. So you have mm. different stuff. So it's always really annoying not to have any recipes or any insight at all. Just the alcohol. So I'm going to get out my Viking Angus flask now. <laughs> should I be scared? Should I be worried? I don't know. Oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> you're all for like eating the whole of animal. Yeah. You, were, yeah. you were telling me before about what was, <laughs> what, what, what did you say they were called? Uh, Colorado oysters. If you visit Colorado, you can taste them. They're not oysters. <laughs> uh, I think they are bites and testicles. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yum. Um, and they're fried. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, I would say a bit chewy, could have done with more spices. Not a dish of interest particularly, but... Um... So I've tried to keep this one hot. Oh, okay. Uh, which is why it's in a flask. Obviously not something they would have done before anyone <laughs> calls me out. Okay. <laughs> Calm down. Same with the takeaway tub. All right. We so I've actually, them. I've done this, so these will be cold and I've done these separately just in case you wanted to have a closer look. Ooh. So I don't know how they're going to pour out of there because they might have sunk to the bottom. So we might have to empty it between us and sort of divvy it out. So these are, any guess? Oh, um, pork knuckles. No. Right, animal. Oh, pork. It's pork. It's pork. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Here's> my fish. <laughs> Pigtails. No way. You oh. had them before? No. No. Ah, see, really cheap. I think I got two pigtails for about £2.50. Wow. Um, Is it? Yeah, pigtails. Yeah, they get very thin at the end, not so much meat. Um, so these were boiled to make the stock for the soup. Wow. And then uh, fried in butter to give them a, a bit of crisp. I see. Um, they're surprisingly meaty. I'm interested. I'm looking. Sorry, I keep so there, there are those, and then there are more which are in the liquid, which have also been fried and then popped back in. So they're sort of oh, twice cooked. Oh. Wow. Yeah, we can attempt to. Um... So this is a soup. That was my first yes. question. Okay. <laughs> could be a pigtail, plan. Could be anything. So pigtail soup. I've read. Wow. Yeah. So you've ended up with a bunch of peas and not a lot else. <laughs> um, I've read that the Saxons, in particular, were big fans of pigtail soup. I think it's in Anne Hagen's. So I've just got the stock and you've got the peas. So <laughs> oh, there you go. There's some pigtails. Oh, nice. See, they get quite small at the end. Ooh. So I've got all of them. Oh, basically, I've got the soup, isn't it? <laughs> some here. I've got some here. You don't have to eat it. Oh, I definitely You don't have to. to. It's up to you. My only concern is, how hot is it? Do I take it with my fingers? It's steaming, so it looks pretty hot. These would be cold if you want to just try a tail first. Shall we do one each? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you... oh, thanks very much. Because these will be cold because they were fried and then put in a plastic takeaway. So should I should I show everybody or you hear us eating again? It's really disconcerting. Yeah. It... Once once it gets in your head. <laughs> I should have <laughs> never said anything. <laughs> I should have said afterwards. Yeah. So you can see there the bone that runs yeah. through the middle. Um, I've got a friend I work with that. He used to eat this as a kid. 
Okay. I just roasted and then salt and pepper. Mm. And I guess you could leave them as a whole tail. <laughs> <laughs> like these um, um, licorice, licorice. Um... Just to chew on. <laughs> mm. So, yeah. I find that quite... Mm. No, a bit chewy, actually. Mm. I like chewy. But it's you know, surprising the amount of meat on. I think they might have gone, but they've been in the tub. I think they've steamed a little bit, so they're probably not quite as crisp as I would normally. I can imagine the sort but... of um, pork scratching outside, mm. meat inside, and then the bone, <clears throat> obviously. But um, mm. the It's a cheap really cut. Nice. They make really good stock. I don't know if you've got any stock, shall I? You have got some. I've got, <laughs> I've got everything, genuinely. Do you know, there's that. It's really funny. I mean, you can't see the plate, but... I've got quite a lot of the pigtails pieces mm. and the first thing I would do is playing with it and try to reconstruct the tail. So that's the little bit of it up and you go from bigger <laughs> to smaller and you have a kind of a tail going around. Well, there's two tails in here. I've ended up with just slightly, I mean, that's <laughs> more. Down. I'll come back to it later. Yeah. They're a little bit on the chewy side, chewy. I think because they've gone cold. It's under that bit of skin. But they're, they're good at least for making your stock and things from because you get all the stuff from the bones comes out. And... But the one from the, from the stock, from the soup, is it's gooey. Oh, like a gooey mm. pulse machine, I want to say, but it's really, really nice. It's much easier to eat as well, especially in front of a camera. Mm. Enjoy these noises. <laughs> so again, it's something that I made, the last time I made this, I think we were probably in the middle of a lockdown or something, so it's been a while since I've had it. Wow. Honestly, I just never thought, never thought about it. You hear about pig's ears, mm. um, feet, that's it. Mm. So is it easy to find or do you go to a special butcher and ask for the cut? I was walking past the butcher and I thought, I know what I can make for Caroline. <laughs> and I walked in and they were like, oh, let me go out back and have a look. And you come back about five minutes later with two tails. And he had some. Mm. Wow. So they're not I'm particularly common, but you can. <clears throat> in my old house, where I lived in Swindon before, um, and I used to have to order them in. Yeah. So I think if I went in on Tuesday, they'd have them in like next delivery on a Friday or something. If you'd end up with a whole bag of them for like a fiver. But no one wants them for some reason. Mm. Mm. It's quite a rich stock. Wow. Honestly, ah, uh, do you roast them in butter before you put them in the in the soup? No. So what I did. So there is a recipe in my book, but this is different because I didn't have authentic carrots today. Okay. So what I've done is I've used parsnips and turnips instead. Mm -hmm. But basically, the tails are boiled. I think it was about 40 minutes. Mm. Then I fished them out and roasted them in a pan with some butter to try and crisp them up and okay. caramelization, bit of flavor. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's a bit of um, wild garlic, turnips, parsnips, and split peas. Oh, and those were boiled until the peas are tender, so mm. I think 25 minutes or so. And then I popped the tails back in, popped it in a thermos, and brought it in. <laughs> <laughs> and drove all the way in. I like that the pieces have a bit of... It's, it turns into a, a tasting session where I just Lots connect my brain to my <laughs> mouth. It just... I like the bite of it. I usually make my peas really mushy. 
Mm. Jack's on the white. Thief. She's, She's there. there. <laughs> <laughs> same for um. same time. <laughs> hmm. If there are less sheep next time you come to the ATC, it wasn't us. Mm -hmm. Well, not us. Hmm. I think the vegetables have gone a little bit on the mushy side, where they've been sat in the mm, in I the really... firmos. Maybe I just like mushy food. <laughs> That's baby food. <laughs> it's really, mm. really tasty, and it's not. Oh, how can I describe that? It's almost on the sweet side of things. Um, well, because you have the parsnip yeah. and tulips yeah. and peas, but it's wow! It's so. Oh, For something that doesn't have any sugar in it, I guess. Yeah. And at the time, that would have tasted quite sweet with the lack of. Oh yeah, definitely any sweetness. Don't you find that par? No, wait. Parsnips. Yes, parsnips. I mm. find incredibly sweet as vegetables, and I don't particularly like them. I prefer turnips when they are more on the radish, watery side of things. I think. Don't you eat raw turnips? Yeah. I'm sure I've seen you do that before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I so. remove the skin, peel <laughs> them first. <laughs> Never again. Yeah, it's just big radishes, so there's nothing more refreshing in the summer and more interesting to do on the display as well. You like peel your turnip. <laughs> it's really good. Pinch of salt. Maybe a bit of that. Oh, we could make a set anyway. So we've been we've been gassing away for a long, long time. So we should probably speed this along a little bit. You can carry on eating, but there is some. I brought something a bit sweeter for you as well. Okay. That okay. I cooked using a frying pan. Is it good enough for me? I don't know. Come to the future. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll jump you in the. In, oh. These might have been sweating a bit as well, actually. So these are oat flour. Okay. Um, fruit. So these aren't seasonal at the moment. Okay. Being modern times, I can get fruit. So I used uh, blueberries and raspberries, but any soft fruits. And then malt extract. Wow. Okay. And that's it. And they're fried. Ooh. Yes. On the frying pan. In the fried pan. Forgive this. May uh, I? Yes, you may. Again, they look like they've been sweating a little bit. So hopefully they're not too gooey. Oh, I love gooey food. They're almost like a set porridge. <laughs> But I thought I'd bring you something a bit sweeter to have as a mm -hmm. pudding. Wow. And it's one of the things most people forget about is they talk about honey as a sweetener and they forget things like malt extract and tree saps and all that sort of. Mm. Well, that's it. Three Maybe, ingredients. Well, anything non-refined but fruits, well, so honey, mm. fruits, but they're seasonal. Grains, anything you can get out of grains. Um, Malt is so delicious. You have made something some months ago. Whey, uh, caramelized whey. Yes, so the I did. Brown that. cheese, or oh. brunost, they call it. I, I'm sure I had some. Uh, it just tastes like dairy, mm. toffee. I don't want to say toffee cheese because it doesn't taste off cheese. That's the weird thing. It kind of is cheese, though. Yeah. It's an odd one. Qualify it, but it's super sweet. I would have that over toffee any day. I boiled a pot this big. Mm. I think it was three quarters full of whey. And if you saw the video, that tiny little dish I had with that, yep. that's what I ended up with. Blimey. Do you really have to boil the whey down and the liquid off 
to almost nothing. Um, but yeah, I think they, you know, in a time when there were many sweet foods, mm. it would have been something that would have been, no, because you'd have the fire on anyway. So you're oh, not yeah. wasting fuel doing it. And if it's cheese making, so the way being the cheese making byproducts, mm. um, you're probably in spring, late spring, early summer, where you have all your make from all your animals. So you don't have your soft fruits yet. And there you go, you turn the byproduct into something. Mm. I know what it makes me think about. Um, confiture de lait. That's the word in French, but it's milk jam. Milk jam. But effectively, that sound good. <laughs> milk jam. And <laughs> I'm sure there's. Oh no, there might not be something. Sequel to Space Jam, is there? <laughs> it's. I guess it's exactly the same principle. They managed to make a sort of salted caramel cream that mm. we call confiture de lait milk jam. Uh, probably because you, you boil and you concentrate down uh, the dairy sugars. And mm. I need to look deeper into that. I'm curious <clears throat> now. I know there is a, there, from our period, there is a pot with sort of the burned remnants that have been tested and they were some kind of cheese. Mm -hmm. And to me, that says Brunost because I know some people would say they were cheese making, but I can't see how you would burn it if you were making cheese to that level. Whereas if you're reducing it and you left it for just that last two minutes, yeah. it would burn. So I think it's more likely that it was Brunost. Mm. But that's personal opinion. That's a really good one. Mm. Yeah. That I... is delicious again. I'll keep saying that, but genuinely I'm having like a free course. I don't know, free course meal. Free course. It is, as planned, so good. And that's it. It doesn't need... That's what I mean. It doesn't need to be complicated. It can be super simple, seasonal, very tasty, uh, super nourishing, and you have all your vitamins and so on and so forth. You can genuinely, I said genuinely so many times, you could make it in a frying pan if you had a frying pan. Um, I used a flat stone. Yeah, flat stone would work just as well. Yeah, that's it. So that um, I can, yeah, just transfer it to the Iron Age or earlier time periods. There you go. It. Pigtail as well. <laughs> and pigtails, yeah. I can't believe it. It's so good. Or maybe it's just the way you cook it. Uh, I have to be careful with that. They're relatively easy. I mean, I cook three dishes at the same time. <laughs> Whilst looking at the time thing, and I said I'd be there at 12 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I was late. I was late. Mm. Mm. You see, that's the problem now. I won't stop eating. Ready. Oh. Do you know what? I even, as a backup, just in case you thought, I'm not eating any of this. I bought some uh, honey. Oh, that! <laughs> At least so, you can have bread and honey. I, you said you weren't fussy, you'd eat anything. Yeah. So I'm like, right, let's go for it. And then I was like, mm, maybe I'll bring a backup. <laughs> <laughs> I was really worried because having said that, I thought, hmm, what's going to be? Maybe it's going to be innards and weird bits, or maybe, oh, um, Eyeballs, sheep eyeballs, or something really scandalous. I'm not eating eyeballs. <laughs> I'm ruling that out. Oh, fair enough. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'd probably, I would struggle. I would struggle. I would taste it, but I would struggle. Mm -hmm. And then might discover that it's delicious, but <laughs> you can make them into a paint. Just saying. There you go. Putting that out there. It's probably more useful as a paint than the bro. Well, I have never tried, so I'm, I'm ready. 
Do you need some eyeballs? I'm not going to look for them. <laughs> if they happen, they happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've been talking for a long time and we haven't covered half of what you do because you also do all your painting and pigments and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, we've been talking food, but actually yeah. you've got a whole other thing and we haven't even... I should just say, oh, if you manage to see the background. It's beautiful background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, because I mainly, I refocus, so I mainly work on Iron Age and do living history displays and research workshops, blah, blahs. But I do from Iron Age to 1580s, uh, well, say 1600, 17th century. Um, it started mainly everything about the food mm. through the ages. And I realized that I preferred working on one time period doing more about it and it's all about breaking myths so the, the first one was the food is it bland and you eat every day etc no it's not and you can prove it you can look at the archaeology the history the um some textual evidence and so on now that that's managed i kind of know where i'm at i would love to write a book we'll see what happens i leave it at that but what I'm really interested in is what you live in as well. Mm. And it started by very simply, many years ago, just fresh starter going, all right, how can I make an Iron Age shield, first of all, replica, okay, how do I color it? How do I paint it? And it's a never-ending list of questions. Um, and I suddenly realized, especially in the last five years, probably, many more painted objects from the Iron Age or earlier time periods just popped up in the archaeology. In Britain, there's an Iron Age shield that just has been discovered with paint on. Um, there's some Viking ones as well. There's paint on Viking well, churches, Saxon as well, ships. But looking at anything before the Romans, people, anybody, automatically assumes that you live in that. It's all Fifty Shades of Mud, every time so it's it's dirty it's uncomfortable it's smoky and it's just now i'm retraining in historical traditional building techniques but natural building only now do i understand how much of a lack of understanding there is about materials that are meant to be simple mm. yeah wattle and daub walls it's simple natural local materials but if you don't know what you're doing well no offense to anybody but it's gonna look pretty rubbish um and that's not what we find in the archaeology we have pieces of walls painted beautiful super smooth you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between uh is 5th century bc if it was 21st century in an office you wouldn't know but I don't have the skills yet, all the skills yet, to be able to show that. Mm. So that's how I end up being in that rabbit hole again. So I worked on the pigments, done the paintbrushes, okay, the binders, even eyeballs, etc. <laughs> I didn't test it myself, but some people did. Mm. Um, and these, once you kind of understand, life is much more colourful, comfortable, actually really cosy, warm and I know my future house, if I eventually manage to find one or to build one, oh goodness knows, um, that's what I'm going to use. Everything made of clay, chalk, cob, probably not much, as much as I love it. Like, yeah, just slates. <laughs> <laughs> Would be lovely. I commissioned that.
Um, so yeah, that's what I'm trying to work yeah. on and share with your good lady, actually. She does a little bit, yeah. 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 Illuminate. Strips, yeah. Um, and I'm not an artist that, exactly like that. I'm not a chef, but I can cook. I'm not an artist, but I can make the materials. Yeah. And that's what I'm interested in. <clears throat> but I think that's probably more realistic to the sort of day-to-day -day person historically as well. Yeah. And like you're saying, like, they wouldn't have had plain walls. It's human nature to be creative. If you can get some pigments out of the earth and mix them up and draw things on the wall, you're going to do it. Yeah. Because you have to look at it every day. So why not make it look good? And the same with the food, like you said before, you don't need food to be boring. If you've got forageable garlic and things, you're going to put it in because it makes your life more interesting, more, yeah. more exciting. And this, the thing is, if you, if you start thinking like that, you start looking at the evidence and all the things that can point you in that direction. And every single time you've done that, I've done that, we find it. Mm. There is evidence, but it's buried somewhere or it's pretty new. And if you don't ask the questions, you won't know. And nobody's going to piece things together if you don't really look for that answer specifically. So here we are. <laughs> History detectives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we should make a club. Sure, that exists. We could call it Time Group or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so... <laughs> I know you've got somewhere to be, so we should probably wrap up. So I'm going to ask you the last question. Okay. And I, you don't know these, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> this is where we get the real answers out Super of you. Super <laughs> okay. So first one is, if you had an unlimited budget, what would be your dream project? <gasps> oh, that's a good question. Oh, man. I think you kind of alluded to it just now. Yeah. I would kind of try to do, mm. would it be a personal project or kind of a great project? That's up to you to interpret that as whichever way you like, really. It could be personal or, or <laughs> historical. I would, do you know, I would probably get a lot of completely different people, researchers, archaeologists, professionals in some craft or, or, um, or even... Uh, amateurs who who like doing something people who know stuff mm. bring them together and recreate like daily life lower lower middle class yeah iron age settlement and live in it permanently <laughs> but it would probably <laughs> wait <laughs> so it would probably have to be kind of a farm but you need you need the animals so you need uh people who know about agriculture husbandry craft so many things and i cannot stop but keep thinking about the scottish cranock center <laughs> thinking well they're kind of doing it i'm guessing <laughs> so what you need to do is go and live and I would, I, I would buy it then if i had unlimited budget oh there would be jacuzzis and <laughs> roundhouses a jacuzzi in a roundhouse and i would probably try to get different groups all over europe all over the world to communicate with each other and to skill share that's so important the education and the skill sharing uh, but just as you don't have the pressure of money anymore you can run a project just look at the archaeology build something but go for really weird theories and, and just see if it works use 
really materials that are not known anymore that you should test out, but you don't have the time, you don't have the money, if the house falls down, you, you can't redo it. So, yeah, allow people who are interested, and anybody uninterested, <laughs> to learn more, everybody. With your unlimited budget, you're just going to force everyone <laughs> yeah. to work the INA. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds pretty I mean, bad, actually. That's a bit like a dictatorship. <laughs> well. Uh, and then nobody, nobody would know who runs it. So nobody would recognize me in the street. It's like secret millionaire, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> the secret, secret millionaire. Iron Age millionaire dictatorship. <laughs> wow. Oh, we need somebody. Title needs work. Yeah, or, or on the on the lower scale, probably just um, having various kind of ancient craft and building techniques trainings open to as many people as possible. Mm. Yeah, that would be it. And the jacuzzi. Oh, and goats. Yeah, goats. Gotta have goats. Goats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next question. Are you ready? Okay. Do you think you could survive on a Viking Age diet? Oh yeah, diet definitely. Sorry, I wasn't <laughs> just. I just went. <laughs> Straight into the Viking Age. In the Viking Age, can you? Nah, I'd die like <laughs> two days in, bam. Just the food. <laughs> Just the food. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I think people would be much healthier, probably happier, weirdly enough. There's lots of connections between digestive systems and, mm. and uh, mental welfare and so on and so forth. But I think anybody definitely can more than survive they would enjoy and thrive on the viking diet no problem as long as you are in an environment that allows you to get the products i would miss uh now, now, and that that leads into the next oh, question <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of tied together so the next question is is there anything you can miss on a viking age diet yeah i have to get in there before you do oh, you <laughs> that was just on time Mm, yeah, chocolate, chocolate, uh, coffee, mm. and spices, weirdly enough, but not so much because you already have my favorite one, black pepper, a really good black pepper. I, I just really would miss that. Mm. So as I don't have black pepper in the age, yeah. We have it, but we have to be a bit sparing with it. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> but I would be, I would have an unlimited budget, so... Oh, I see you're linking it to the project well, as well. So whilst you're <laughs> it's, uh, it's all connected. Uh -huh. Interestingly, Tom's answers oh. very similar to yours. Really? Coffee and a Mars bar. Oh damn! Oh Mars bars. Yeah, I was going to. That, that. was that, <laughs> triple chocolate muffin. <laughs> he was on the very first episode. If anyone hasn't seen it, but a oh, spoiler. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. it. Oh no! Pretend you didn't hear that. <laughs> Go back so twelve episodes. Like <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Very much that, and I could definitely live without. But all the foods I think I really would struggle without are all food that are like cheese. It genuinely cheese, mustard, probably white garlic. I would be all right. Mm. Yeah, so you have them all in the Viking Age. No problem. Hopefully the answer is not my food. But oh, <laughs> what, okay. What's the worst food you've ever eaten? Well, Craig, um, <laughs> the worst food I've ever eaten. Oh, mm. that's, I don't have good memories of bad food wait a minute you'll have to do some digging oh <laughs> and i know exactly what tom said tom didn't because these questions came up later oh damn yes. i know exactly what he would have said <laughs> <laughs> um i've only started doing these on the last few episodes 
Oh, hang on. Well, that was a kid, so kid taste between modern taste. Uh, if it's the worst taste. from your memory, what's the worst thing the you've ever eaten? The worst food I have ever tasted was super 70s style in a, in a posh, posh, sorry, in a posh hotel restaurant for somebody in my family's um, like 80th birthday or something like that. And there was about that size, hmm. that shape on the plate for each guest green bright green sort of mound a bit like a jelly yeah. like a jello shot of something it was broccoli mousse oh i want to use the word rank but <laughs> that was bad oh mm. because from i was a kid but it wasn't seasoned it genuinely was the worst broccoli flavor you can imagine and the worst broccoli texture as a mousse mm. on a plate. I don't think that's because you were a kid. I think that sounds bad. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds really bad. And yeah. even now, I don't think I would particularly... I, I like broccoli, don't get me wrong, but yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. That's the worst one. Um, okay, so then, to follow on from that one, I've got to read my own questions. <laughs> Most memorable meal you've ever had? Oh, no. Um... I mean, that could be, could be the same answer, could be different. I was really memorable. Um, there's different ones for different reasons. There's, you know, when you have a, an awesome wedding and the food is absolutely amazing. There's that because it's a party and all that. But very recently, I've done a, um, an Iron Age feast in a guild hall, you know, in a um, visitor centre probably. Mm. So we've done an Iron Age feast and it was in Scotland, uh, near Kilmartin, so organised by Kilmartin Museum. And there was a Cayley uh, just after it, so um, Scotch music and a lot of dancing. And it's so... it was incredible. It was... everything was... it's weird, if I can say so myself, the food was okay. <laughs> um, you did was, the food. Yeah, I did. The <laughs> <laughs> food was okay. Um, wow, it's big praise. <laughs> Um, yeah, people just mm. ate a lot and were very happy. Uh, there was also meat tasters and all that. Um, and the fact that you had such a varied group of people who didn't know each other, who suddenly came together and chatted about the food and archaeology, which a lot of people are not used, used to, uh, and then all danced together. That is, to me, one of the most recent amazing meals. Otherwise, when we were at school and it was from the east of France, one day a month we have a cheese buffet. Ooh. So you get roasted potatoes on a plate, uh, a salad, a fresh, fresh leaf salad. And then you have a buffet of anything you could imagine in like a cheesemonger, anything. And you just eat as much of it. I hated that as a kid. I was the fussiest eater. Really? I never. I started. Eat, I think I started eating cheese at about the age of twenty-two. Oh no! Yeah, I like for what I do. I'm like one oh. of the fussiest people. <laughs> oh, like, you... now I'm eating all brains and stuff. And like, yeah, yeah really fussy. Wow. There's so many. Well, to be fair, there's so many different cheeses. There surely are some that you can like and some that you. Yeah, <clears> I think yeah. Great. To say I didn't like, but then I suppose I wasn't. Yeah, mozzarella doesn't have a lot of flavour to it, so that probably would have been all right. But. Generally, I think as a kid, we would have come across, you know, standard sort of cheddars, cheddars and stuff. Yeah. A bit of brie, maybe. 
I can remember. <laughs> I can remember being made cheese sandwiches for school by my mum oh. because she insisted everybody likes cheese. I'm yeah. like, I don't like cheese. <laughs> you don't do be too. silly. Everyone likes cheese. And the teachers would make you eat because really? they're like, oh yeah, because it's your meal. This is what you were, mm. your parents want you to eat. You've come to school with it. You have to eat it. And I'd have like some squash in a flask and I'd be like trying to drink blackcurrant squash to wash down the cheese. <laughs> and so I think that put me off for life. Like yeah, that I... being forced to do it is just like, I say for life, till I was an adult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, no, I, yeah. I never considered that. Sorry, I, mm. it's alien to me. The concept of not eating cheese is, I mean, <laughs> I know you sometimes you can't eat cheese, of course, but mm. I think... <laughs> especially in my family. It's every morning, it's part of the breakfast. It was very, you know, you, you have it in your head. Four tartines, so four slices of bread, mm. uh, nice bread like that. Two savory ones with cheese, but it's conquayot. It's a liquid cheese, it's, it sounds weird, but it's a liquid cheese from the east of France. It's not really exported, so I, I'm trying at the moment to make it myself mm. so I can show people how to do it. Um, so two of that and two um, butter and honey. And that was it. And I probably lived on that for the first 18, 20 years of my life. <laughs> and now I miss it so much. Yeah. <laughs> so I eat other cheeses now, just dipped in coffee. That sounds weird. weird. Cheese and coffee. Oh, try it. Or oh, hot chocolates. I'm just looking at the camera. Oh, hot chocolates. <laughs> a nice yeah. brie. Camembert is a bit intense, but start with brie. On bread or just like that. Dipped in coffee or hot chocolate. <laughs> oh, wait, so Never one, again. <laughs> one last question. One last question. Huh? Got to get to the, through the questions as I forget. <laughs> okay. So you've died. Okay. Um, and everyone's preparing uh, your burial grave. Okay. Um, what food and drink would you take to Valhalla? That's a good question. Because if I take coffee, that that's going to be bad. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, cider. Sorry, I just clicked. Cider? Oh, yes, yeah, cider would be yeah. nice. Uh, or milk. Something, uh, drinks like that. So a hot drink, cider, and some form of a hot drink. Maybe a hot milk with different flowers or spices, I want to say, but malted milk. I'm re just reinventing the routine. <laughs> uh, I would take that. And as foods. Yeah. Oh. Well, a cheese platter, obviously. Um, Maybe that liquid cheese. Yeah, it has to be. Can you import it to Valhalla? <laughs> In pot, yeah. <laughs> you, need a, you need a container. Mm. Yeah, just um, nice cheeses, really nice loaf of bread, uh, a massive chunk of meat, really well roasted, whatever it is. Then a massive amount, like a mound of salad I would probably need for all that. I love vegetables. Yeah, so basically everybody bringing a feast home would be perfect, yeah. Something like that. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. That was amazing. Do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Facebook, Instagram? Yeah. Website? Uh, so my website, www.pario, P-A-R-I-O, I'm looking at you, Gallico, <laughs> G-A-L-L-I-C-O.com. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, the website, a tiny bit on YouTube, I'm not really doing much on video side of things. 
Um, yeah, and that's that's pretty much it. You can find me easily normally. I'll link them under in the description. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> brilliant. Thank well, you. Thanks for that. And uh, see you soon then. And I'll see you all soon. Bye. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, remember to like and subscribe and give the show a rating. You can also help keep the show going by becoming a Patreon where you'll get early access to all episodes. Or check out my range of merch on my store. Links are in the episode description. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 